Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Talking About Birds, the only Cardinal podcast that, like the Cardinal pitching staff, often gets beaten up. My name is <laughs> Nate Heininger, and I am joined by my co-host, Ben Smorka. Hi, everybody. And this week, we have yet another guest with us. Uh, Kyle Reese, prospect guru, is here with us tonight. Thank you so much for being here, Kyle. Hey, it's my pleasure. I'm anxious to talk it over with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a lot to talk about. So on this episode, among many things, we're going to be talking about some of the recent transactions on the Cardinals Major League roster. We're going to dig in on the farm system, and we're going to talk about some news and notes from around the rest of the world. If you have an idea for the opening joke, tweet us at Talk About Birds. Uh, well, we're here. We've we've made it through the holiday weekend, Fourth uh, of July, uh, America's birthday. Did either of you do anything fun for the uh, for the for the holiday weekend? Uh, I we went over to a buddy's house, and that person bought. You guys know hot ones. They bought the the flight of hot sauces that they have on hot ones. And nice. I sat on the patio and people mostly just watched me cry um, and uh. sweat and then gargle ice cream. Uh, was that was different than a normal? And, yeah, it was, it was pretty <laughs> normal. <laughs> I was going to say that was what my weekend was, but without the hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> just crying in the corner. Crying and gargling uh, ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> the Sweating ice cream was somehow. good. Yeah. Yeah. How far did you make it? I, I went all the way, baby. Okay, so I was wondering why Ben Ben does a lot of the work on the outline, and he was like, "We should talk about our Fourth of July weekends." And I was like, well, "You know why? There's no way that's interesting." Now I know you just want to brag that you made it through the hot sauce list. Obviously, I did so well they let me take them home. <laughs> I think that's mostly because nobody else wanted to touch them ever again. <laughs> but I took them home. Well, how and did, I survived like, how the day the- after. Oh, sorry, Kyle. No, I was going to say, like, was the intensity level what you thought? Could, is there any way to prepare yourself for it? No, I, I am. I This is like not hyperbolic at all. I was sitting there on the deck. My eyes were streaming with tears. My nose, I couldn't feel my mouth. I was, I tried beer. I tried ice cream. I, I mean, it was pathetic. It was, it was really, really <laughs> bad. And it took about 20 minutes. And then I was sort of normal. But it was so spicy. I felt like drunk or something. I, I was losing my mind. It uh, it was bad. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, as a as a fan of hot sauce. I've always been interested in trying that, but um, I don't think I have that in me to go all the way through it. Like, I, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? I'm very like, tough. You're very weak. I'm. I mean. Maybe, but yeah. there's also a desire element here of like just like willing to put yourself through that. <laughs> Dominance has been established on the show. It's on record. Move on. We should move on. Um, <laughs> I went to the Lake of the Ozarks and it was really, really hot and uh, shot off some fireworks. Family time. Pretty normal. Kyle, did you do anything fun? I took it easy, fellas. You know, I, uh, nice. I'm out. My full time job is outside. 
Oh so my god! I uh, I did not. I was not outside if I didn't have to be outside. <laughs> yes. So I honestly, uh, if I can, I'll give a recommendation. I, my girlfriend and I, we sat and we watched all eight episodes of The Bear on Hulu, uh, which has one of my favorite actors in it, the kid who played Lip from uh, Shameless, and who has uh, his name's like uh, Jeremy David Allen or something like that. I can't think of what yeah. his, his full serial name killer is. name. That's gonna yeah, say the same thing. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> murdered a celebrity at some point in his life, and uh, but he's. He's phenomenal, phenomenal in it. It's there's a lot of yelling. Uh, it's about a beef shop in Chicago. Um, it's it's a really, really great, really well done show. Every episode's like thirty minutes, uh, and there's only eight episodes, and you go through, you blow through it really quick. But it it's really well done. I watched that, and then Stranger Things with my girlfriend. That we had a nice. very indoor uh, binge worthy weekend. Hell yeah, it's so damn hot out. I <laughs> I, I respect that decision. Um, and that sounds great. Thanks for the wreck. We just started, uh, uh, my wife and I just started Stranger Things Season 4. Huge fan of the series and finally getting it kicked off. So uh, awesome! I- excited to dig in. Never watched an episode of it. Uh, yeah, well, but you also uh, ate a lot of hot sauce and cried yourself to sleep. So, you know, we all have <laughs> all, our interests. lining up, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was, real fast with the Stranger Things, I was caught in the middle. I watched the first season when it came out, and it just kind of felt like nostalgia fest for me. Yeah. And I kind of put it on the back burner, and then my mm-hmm. girlfriend's like, hey, we should watch this, and I, whatever. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I, I watched it with her, and the fourth season is outrageously good. Like, the other seasons really? are really okay. good. And the fourth season is outrageously good. Uh, nice. You can, they start really building towards things and paying things yeah. off. And it's awesome. That I loved the third se- season even. So I'm, uh, I am excited about the fourth one. Um, the way they've sort of grabbed different genres from the 80s and, and molded them into this series has been fantastic. And it, the third season was so over the top. I'm excited about the fourth one. Yeah. Oh, you're going to love yeah. it. Great. Well, we should talk about what we're here to talk about, I suppose. Um, so uh, we're going to start with uh, going through some of the recent updates, the good and the bad to the uh, the Cardinal um, Major League squad. So, uh, Ben, you want to kick us off? Well, I th- yeah, I think the most important thing to talk about is Jack, right? Uh, Flaherty, the, they said he's going to be shut down. I, and by shut down, I read that as no baseball activity at all for two to three weeks. Um So I'm freaking out about that a little bit. I mean, I think (laughs) we've talked about earlier in the season, like whatever we get from Jack is icing on the cake. I don't, I don't think anybody expected our position player group to be playing like it is. So it just makes this all worse, right? When the team is good. And even though maybe they're having a bit of a skid right now, Jack is the linchpin, especially, you know, the way Dak is, uh, Hudson has been playing and, all that, but I, I, I am, I, I think I was at like a seven or eight last week and I'm probably at like a nine or a 10 this week on the Jack Flaherty front. Kyle, I don't know how you're feeling about that. It's been a rough week. I mean, it's, it's, uh, as you know, I can be optimistic and I can try to be as non-emotionally driven as possible, but this last week has been, it's been very, very tough to watch a bad defense, some poor base running. Uh, I don't know. It seems like the three kids in particular, Donovan, Yepes, and Gorman are all, you can see signs of fatigue um, specifically. You know, one thing that I don't think a lot of people keep in mind since coming back from COVID. So all of the minor league season was shut down in 2020. And then uh, since the beginning of the 2021 season, these kids don't play on Monday. So they get one built-in day off every week. 
And so like when you see Brendan Donovan's played 24 straight days, you know, 20 of them are at positions he's never really played before. Uh, and he's yeah. trying not to make the mistakes that Yepes is making out in the outfield. Yeah, you can see those signs of wear. And it's uh, it's it's been about as bad of a week as I thought this particular rendition of the Cardinals could have uh, as we entered the yeah. season. You know? and, and a point that you kind of you kind of picked on the defense there when you first started talking. And I you kind of made me think like how many times, you know, this team, this pitching staff in particular was built around the defense. And how many times have we seen that A plus defensive lineup with Paul DeYoung down? I mean, maybe we haven't in months, um, but that lineup just is not exist. It does not exist right now with Bader and O'Neill and everything that you're talking about. Um, yeah, that we're, we're watching it live. And for me real fast, like it's, it's also the defensive side, you know, uh, I do have the Cardinal game on and Dylan Carlson just made an, a great catch out in center field. But when, when you watch the outfield without O'Neill and Bader at the same time, it, no matter how well uh, uh, Carlson can play in center, uh, he's never going to be the Bader level and right. he, he'll never be able to cover for what those two guys can do in particular. So you have one infielder, maybe two infielders playing the outfield to keep their bats in the lineup. And it's just, it's a rough look all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. And and your point on on uh, Donovan in particular playing 24 games straight, he's also a dude that, you know, plays all out 100% of the time and they don't really have any other options behind him. I mean, we are going to talk about the farm system and, and some of its strengths, but there's nobody right now ready to come up and, and give that sort of outfield defense that we're used to. And yeah, with a team that's built around defense, uh, when that starts to fall apart, we're seeing it impact the pitching staff and uh, really just the whole makeup of this team. Um, it, it is disappointing, of course, when for weeks now it had been the whole narrative of like the young kids are coming up and saving the team. And uh, now we're starting to see that sort of dwindle a little bit. Do you think it's that we're just actually playing good teams now? Or uh, is it a mixture of that and just running down and, and starting to get tired heading into the into the, you know, maybe even hotter days here in St. Louis? For me, it's uh, it, I will always say it's everything, right? It's yeah, it's all things happening at once. It's pitching being bad. It's the bullpen being worn out. It's uh, also injuries in the bullpen and ineffectiveness in the bullpen. It's. It's what happens when everything bad all kind of happens at once, and then you also go up against good teams. It's it's the worst type of perfect timing, yeah. In my opinion, yeah, yeah, horrible time to be playing the the Phillies who ha- are flawed, but they can hit the ball really hard, and we saw that uh, Atlanta, who is just an all around good t- team. We've got the Dodgers coming up. Uh, this is a rough time for the Cardinals to be falling apart. And, you know, offense is going to even the best offensive teams are going to have good weeks and bad weeks. But it's the if their pitching isn't showing up, then it just looks really bad when the offense goes to sleep, even a little bit, even if it's just for a week or two. Um, I, I think that, you know, that should be a reasonable expectation for this offense is that it's not always going to be putting up eight runs. But like you're talking about when you can't get three innings out of your starting pitcher, or four innings out of your starting pitcher, it just dominoes. But yeah, yeah. Fortunately, uh, it does seem like we are going to get at least O'Neill back very soon. Um, you know, he he looked good when he came back the first time. Really, really disappointing that he could go basically right back on the IL, but he seems to be doing okay in Memphis. 
And so we should get him back any day now. And that I think it will have that sort of cascade effect slots right back into the heart of the lineup provides that uh, stellar defense and maybe things can start to stabilize. Um, I don't know. Have you, have you guys been following his uh, rehab at all? I watched it for me. I watched a little bit of him tonight. He still seemed a little rusty, specifically out in the field. Uh, he, you know, he made a weird throw that I did not expect him to make. Instead of throwing into second, he where he could have gunned down a runner, he threw it to third and kind of missed his cutoff. Man, he took a couple weird routes. Uh, they're playing the Memphis Redbirds are playing in Durham, and they've got a big tall wall, and he really struggles with that tall wall. We even saw that in Fenway, like uh, which I mean, I anyone would probably struggle. I I, I can't yeah. imagine that's easy. Uh, but yeah, like he, he took a couple good at bats tonight uh, before it turned it off, and yeah, he he looks he looks close. I, for me, I'd prefer for him to get just a little more time. You know, I, every game matters at the, in the NL Central, even with bad teams. Every game man, matters in the uh, the wild card race and maybe a potential division race. But uh, I'd rather him come up and feel confident and yeah. and full throttle. Uh, like he came up last time because that that's the different Tyler O'Neill. That's the difference maker, the MVP vote getter. Right. And when he went down, it felt like it was very much like uh, everything on the Cardinals are is clicking right now. We can afford <laughs> yeah. to put uh, O'Neill back on the IL, give him that time to rehab and come back. And he's coming back to a very different team where even maybe a 85 percent Tyler O'Neill is is worthwhile. However, we saw that with Jack Flaherty. You know, we kind of think that that was a bit of an overblown story, but obviously the big there was a lot of hullabaloo, if you will, about Flaherty coming back uh, <laughs> too early. Um, so I, you know, I, I, the Cardinals are generally conservative with this sort of thing, and um, but I think we'd all be happy to see O'Neill back in the in the big league club soon. Uh, yeah. You know, on the rehab, the rehab front, the one thing that's really stood out to me, you know, uh, TJ McFarlane had his first rehab inning. Steven Matz, I thought, uh, looked really solid in the, the couple outings that he has had. And I know that there's talk about him maybe getting a start, uh, maybe even tomorrow. You know, you guys are recording here on Wednesday. We're doing the whole thing here on Wednesday. Uh, maybe Thursday getting that start. I don't know what they finally decided, but... Um, you that, know, That is what I read before we started recording, is he's supposed to be starting tomorrow. Okay. And we are really good at having very long conversations about uh, possible things, only to have those things settled within hours of this podcast being recorded. <laughs> so surely we will get some news about Matt's like, you know, within a minute of us saying we're done tonight. So, um, but yeah, I, I, we were both, uh, you know, pretty high on Matt's coming into the season, thought it was a great signing. And obviously the results that we got, uh, you know, before this aisle stint were a mixed bag to put it uh, nicely. But um, I think we'll take anything we can get right now. If he could just go out there and uh, throw six innings, that's going to be better than what we're seeing from most of the most of the team right now. Let alone if he can uh, click into some of the stuff that we saw, uh, you know, in the back half of a season last year and in single starts at times here with the Cardinals. It's just like making a big trade, right? <laughs> I hate you <laughs> every time. Um, yeah, no, we absolutely need Mats at this point, and, and I think it's bulk innings. Uh, that is what the team needs, and maybe he'll get some ground balls. And, uh, you know, he won't keep letting balls fly over the wall uh, like what was happening early in the year. Um, but, yeah, we just need it. Um, and, you know, I think, like, kind of speaks back to the wearing out your prospects point. Like, is Palante, how much does Palante have left in him? Is he going to need to skip a start? 
Oviedo, we are, this podcast is going to keep willing that Oviedo is going to be effective for a while, but it's, it hasn't happened yet. Woodford, I guess, is still tuning up his slider. I, I don't fully understand what the plan with Woodford is going forward. Um, Woodford insulted God, John Mazalak's bow tie at some point, <laughs> I think, or something, because he is he is forever in the doghouse with this team. Um, but we're, hey, we're, Jordan Hicks is back. Yeah, let's talk about that. That's better. He hit 103. <laughs> Yeah, you know, real fast, the Woodford thing is the weirdest thing on earth. You know, I'm not even like I'm one of these people who has never really been high on Woodford. But man, what a weird, weird thing that's going on there. I mean, yeah. it's almost, you know, we joke around about more or whatever, but it only, it does make me wonder if at like some point he told Maddox to, you know, F off or something yeah. or, or, yeah. or somebody like, man, yeah. it's weird. And I remember a few weeks ago, Marmol was like, we're sending down Woodford not for results but because we're not liking what we're seeing. And he was like, that's all I'm going to say right now. Bye, Jake Woodford. Get in your car and go. Um, very strange. Get on the bus. Yeah. Work on yeah. your slider. It was, it was work on your slider. And then even even these the when they sent him down last time and they asked Marmol about it, he gave another weird cryptic answer where it was like, well, we've told him what to work on and he needs to work on it. So I don't, I don't know if it's a preparation issue when it boils down to it or whatever, but it's definitely not like the Cardinals to just like discard somebody who's getting out when no one else is. Yeah. yeah and it seems super strange. It's super strange. And, and you just kind of, you, you mentioned uh, TJ McFarlane. I'm curious. My kind of thought on TJ was that he was on his way out. Very similar to how uh, Nick Wickren found his way out. Do you think the rehab is going to culminate in him joining the big league club? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Again, I'd be very surprised. The the, the interesting one's going to be Corey Dickerson for me. I think yeah. that the Cardinals will utilize every pitcher that they can for <laughs> as long as they can, and especially left-handed, and especially if there's a chance that they can find some way to like stretch out Zach Thompson. Uh, like if they get Hennessy Cabrera back, and then you know the TJ McFarland has worked hard to continue to find that uh, that movement, that drop profile on that sinker. And in his start tonight, he struck out a guy and got two ground balls to the first baseman. And, and hey, honestly, the movement on his sinker looked really, really good tonight, and he was locating it on both sides of the plate. So I don't think it's a question with TJ. If he's going to make it back to the majors, I think it's a question of how long he's going to be in the majors, if he's not effective. I definitely think that his leash will be super short. Yeah. He's not going to get to screw around like he has up until this point. Yeah, and I think I think screw around is a perfect way to kind of color how some of these performances. I mean, it has been, and I think you know uh, we're pretty patient with this kind of thing, especially short inning relievers, wide variance in in, in short amount of innings. But my God, was it painful there uh, before well, he went down? We talked about it. This was maybe three weeks ago or so, but um, there were a lot of numbers that would indicate that TJ McFarland was the worst reliever in baseball. Yeah. Uh, not a good look. And I know it's not, I know the depth is not quite there yet. Um, but it just seems at least to us that a team that's contending for a, uh, for a, a, a division title probably shouldn't have the worst of anything on their team. Uh, especially something like a reliever who can blow an entire game for you in, in, you know, in one half inning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. Hey, you know, it's funny. <laughs> like it's even with Whitgren, right? Like, Whitgren's purpose wasn't even necessarily to get outs anymore. It was just like 
hey, can you throw two innings for us? And just (laughs) even if you let up 17 runs, we need you to be that guy. And if you can do it on like three straight nights, that would be really (laughs) valuable to us. Yeah. We need to get through this game. To to all that point, you know, I'm very confused. Or I, I think it makes sense that when Jordan Hicks came back that he went into the bullpen because the experiment, maybe it'll be kicked down the road to next year for him to start. Who knows? But I'm very curious to see how they use him. Is it going to be one inning at a time with a night off? Is it going to be multiple innings? Is it going to be like a scheduled bullpen day? Do you have any thoughts on that? What, what do you guys want to see out of Hicks going forward? I've been a fan of you, Hicks you like one rotation. or three out of the bullpen. <laughs> it's nice. It's, it's, it's nice neat. to have. Neat. It's neat. It was, was it neat? Yeah, it's, it's neat. neat. Yeah, it is neat to have. Um, I've been a fan. I've said it from the beginning of Jordan Hicks in the rotation. I acknowledge that it did not work uh, as was hoped in that initial experiment, but I'm not ready to give up. Um, but I think it would be hard to get the innings you would what we need right now from him as a starter right now. So I think maybe the ideal would be that long relief in games that are still winnable. Um, It's been really frustrating seeing us down by one or two and then going to a Whitgren or going to a McFarlane and games that are still, you know, it's, it's lower leverage compared to a game that you're winning, but it's still a winnable game. Uh, And those games are just being, you know, tossed out because the the bullpen has been so trash. So I think you could still find that middle ground, give him multiple innings at a time, keep him somewhat stretched out. And maybe hopefully if things start to stabilize with Matt's returning, um, maybe Hudson <laughs> knock on wood starts to figure things out. You can re-engage the experiment of, of Hicks in the rotation. And he's not going from single inning reliever all the way back to starter. But I don't know that that's easy to say, of course, and and pretty complicated to actually pull off. Uh, but I think that would be my ideal right now. It seems like they're they're treating uh, they they have the kid gloves on Jordan Hicks, right? He, since he's been off the IL, he's only made one appearance. Uh, like you, even tonight, it's a close game, and they're going to Gallegos down like four zero. Now Gallegos needs to sort his stuff out as well, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, for me, like. I, I remember watching Jordan Hicks for the first couple times in the minors and thinking that if he could just harness it a little bit, he had the potential to have three, maybe four pitches. Like he was really, yeah. really developing a curve and a changeup before he found his way into the majors. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I can only imagine how tough it is, right? You, you're a 20, 21 year old kid. Uh, you're making your major league debut. You haven't been higher than high A. You, really have only developed your fastball and it's more about heat and, and not necessarily movement profile or spin. It's just, it's about heat and your slider is filthy when it plays off of the fastball. Well, so he never really got a chance to develop the way that I always wanted him to develop. Uh, although he was essential for the bullpen at the time. So right. it's a, it was a tough wager to make. And honestly, it was probably the right wager to make at the time, even if it doesn't pan out. I can't imagine how hard it would be for somebody to rediscover their entire repertoire, to try to get the feel for the changeup after hardly throwing it for four years, to rediscover a curveball. Uh, so I I understand why everybody on earth that really has a, an opinion on it that's a Cardinal fan would say that's a bullpen arm. That's a bullpen arm. But I want to see him stretch out. I think it's best for his his health in the long run. And I, I think that uh, I think he's capable of it if he's given a ramp up you know, a, a runway to get there. 
I don't know if he'll ever get it. You know, if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen next year. Uh, his arm is too valuable to be kept down at the minors to give him a chance to stretch out, which is a bummer. Um, yeah. But I, I think I think he has the makeup and the metal to make it work under different circumstances. I, I've always been on board with the Cardinals getting creative. I, I wanted to be more modern with the lineup and be more modern with the pitching staff, rotation and starters. And even though they were slow, even though they re- were reactionary about getting Jordan Hicks into the starting rotation, I loved it because it was modern. It was something different. And it just yeah. it just didn't pan out. It came close. You know, I think that's one thing that gets lost is it did come kind of close to happening. It just it completely derailed. The train was going too fast and it derailed. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would love to see it happen. I don't think it'll ever happen, though. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, a little bit of Trevor Rosenthal, who his entire career, you know, at least with the Cardinals, and I assume in his post-Cardinals career, all we ever heard about from him was, I want to be a starter. I, I can start. He was a starter in the minors, and the situation and his arm led to him being narrowed into the bullpen. And he ultimately, that's where his entire career went. And he obviously has had a, a fruitful and... uh monetarily successful career. So I don't think he's complaining too much about it, but uh, you know, the, the starters are obviously it's a more valuable position. And I agree. I think Hicks should get it. I just, everything is so bad right now with the pitching staff. It's really (laughs) hard to imagine. Like now is the time to go back to the, uh, you know, letting the the young kid test it out again. Well, and to add to that, I think what I was really surprised by having not watched any of Jordan Hicks minor league starts or anything like that is that he has obviously pulling back when he's in the starting rotation. And by pulling back, I mean he was throwing 97 to 99 miles per hour and had the movement was still there. He dialed it in and the the sinker was still had that arm side run that looked on TV like it was th- going three feet. Uh, so I, I think like. It wasn't really much of a step down stuff wise. The way that I was perceiving it is his movement. It was going, there was so much movement that he couldn't find the strike zone. And by the time he was able to lock that in, and it's kind of a similar thing that Dakota's going through. By the time he was able to find the strike zone, he's got 65 pitches, bases loaded, and you know the game's lost or, or almost over, and he's getting close to injured again. But I, I, I agree with everything that you said. Yeah, let's. I'd love to see him back in the rotation. Um, and I think I agree with the kid gloves thing. Be careful with him this season. Hopefully he can save the bullpen a little bit. Yeah. I, I like your idea of, of when they're down one or two, like that's, that's what they haven't had. They haven't had somebody who can come in when you're down one or two and kind of shut it down. And I, ideally, you know, if Oviedo keeps making progress, you know, he, his worst Oviedo's worst appearance was that first appearance, uh, after getting called up. And ever since he's, in my opinion, he's been really good. Hopefully, you know, yeah. he recovers from taking that 111 mile an hour oh liner to his God. hand. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, but if he can come back from that, they do. I I've, I believe, so I was on, the, I, uh, I was having a conversation on 590 a couple mornings ago and uh, locally St. Louis. And what I said is, it, it was about two weeks ago. I said, I think between now and the beginning of August, you're going to have a lot of frustration in the bullpen. But I think that the bullpen will get a chance to settle after the All-Star break. And not to say it's going to be lights out. Not to say it's going to be the best bullpen in baseball. But I think with defined roles, a break that come, defined roles that come after a break, I think that there's pieces in the bullpen that you don't necessarily have to panic about. It is that starting rotation where right. the real issue is. 
Yeah, this bullpen would be really good. There was a time where we considered this bullpen to be a one of the better bullpens in baseball with Helsley and and Cabrera and and Gallegos. But with the collapse of the starting rotation, all these guys are thrown into extended inning situations, have to be used in the fifth or sixth inning. Everything just starts to dwindle from there. So, um, yeah, hopefully the all-star break, the reset gives them that chance and and just some sort of break in a positive direction in the uh, in the in the rotation um, and things could start to fall back into place. So I guess we'll see, uh, you know, that's, they play every day. That's one of the fun parts about baseball. We get to, we get to learn about this every single day. So, um, never thought about it thing. like that. Wow. Wow. That's how baseball go. Wow. Um, <laughs> so the last thing we want to talk about in this, uh, sort of section is, uh, you know, last week, Ben and I, I don't know what spent 15 minutes talking about the catcher situation, making all these predictions about uh, who would be sent down Kisner or Herrera uh, and how would that be handled? And, you know, I got to say, I, I think this one, <laughs> this one's on us. We were wrong. You know, Ben, we, 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 we fucked this up, Ben. Uh, I didn't, none of us predicted uh, Austin Romine, uh, former Yankees legend, uh, now starting or at least co-starting uh, catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, yeah. Did not see that one coming. I, I mean, the only thing that makes sense is that maybe they thought Yvonne looked a little overmatched, which I don't think is a big deal. He's cutting his teeth in the big leagues. And, and maybe they wanted him starting every day and without Yachty being up there to kind of, you know, talk to him and, and get it in his ear. There, there wasn't much value to him being on the big league club. I still well, like I'm saying that and I don't fully buy it. Um, there was some quote, I think it was from Marmol. Um, clearly, I do, I've done my homework here, but it was basically that like there's a lot more to being a starter in the majors than just catching the ball. It's about <laughs> preparation. It's about. Um, you know, understanding the the opponents, it it made it sound like basically he needs to practice the more analytical side that is expected at the major league level. Um, that maybe he wasn't quite ready for all of the data that comes your way when you become a, a starter in the majors. Don't you learn that at the major league level? <laughs> like I don't know. Well, you think you'd be learning it at AAA? You know, it's like a. Being in high school and you go to college and you're like, what? There's tests here, you know. Um, you'd think he would have been learning that, but I don't know. Kyle, yeah. do you do you have a sense <laughs> for like what the drop off for like the informational drop off is going from MLB to AAA? Is it stark? Because that is my percent or the way that I, I guess maybe I've made that up in my head. I don't know if that's true at all. I don't believe so. Um, I would say pre-COVID, it was stark. But since returning from COVID, the information is, is definitely more accessible, easily, more easily accessible, uh, and more uh, readily available and common at the minor league levels. I get the impression with with Mr. Herrera, with Yvonne, that his his is a preparedness issue. You know, there, there's a certain level of preparedness that a catcher has to has to have. Uh, and especially a young catcher, and especially a young catcher that's trying to earn the trust of a veteran staff. You know, uh, Palante isn't, but other than that, like even even the guys that are trying to like plug into the staff as as right. band aids are are veterans, and I don't think that he showed that. I think that that's really what it boils down to. I'm not necessarily sure if it's a the the whole analytical side, but it, it seems like it was a preparedness issue, and I don't know if that's necessarily something that he had issues with at the minor leagues. Like 
he he's a hard worker. He's a smart kid. You know, he works really hard. But I've always said, you know, I evaluate of all the evaluating I do. I am worse at evaluating catchers than I am at anything else. Uh, it's a tough position to evaluate when you're watching minor league baseball. It's there's just so much stuff going on, and the minor league umps are so bad. And uh, it you know it, not to throw that, but they're bad. I mean, if everybody yeah. thinks major league umps are bad, minor league umps are a whole nother level, man. Yeah, take a step down in quality <laughs> and skill from major league level, so it yeah. stands to reason. And then for every level, take another step down, and for every level, take another <laughs> right. step down. I mean, it's it can be really really brutal. Um, but I, I think that's what it is more with Yvonne than anything else. And that'll come with with age. The one thing I the one thing I feel like in my evaluating of catchers over these years, the the one constant, and this goes for catchers outside of the Cardinals organization too, kids that I've watched play in other organizations, it seems like even though we all know catching is the toughest position in baseball, and it might be the toughest position in all of sports, none of us have any idea just how difficult it is. And for the last you know, 700 years, we've watched Yadier Molina do it better than anybody else right. in our lifetime. Right. Yeah. So I, I've, what I've noticed is even with those other kids and other organizations, not just Kisner, not just Kelly, not just Herrera and his small little taste, all of these catchers take steps back, you know, except for like Adley Rushman, except for the, the mega elite catchers, they all take steps back from what you watch them do in the minor leagues. And I think it's just so much. I think catching at the major league level is just so you know, so damn much. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Ferreira got a, you know, just got a little taste of the majors was just caught up in it. Maybe didn't take it as seriously as, as you know, maybe taking it as seriously as he did at the minor league level, which is serious enough, just wasn't enough at the major league level. And they said, go back down, get your stuff together. And when we come back, be ready. Yeah. Most teams are switching through catchers you know, pretty frequently, right? I mean, it is a turn and burn position besides the analytical and preparedness side of it, just the physical strain it takes. Um, you know, we are truly, and I know we're, we're talking, we are Cardinal fans talking to Cardinal fans here, but you know, we know we are truly spoiled with what we got from Yadier Molina and, you know, it, literally a record breaking type of player, hall of fame type of player. So it does skew our perception of uh, the difficulty of being a catcher. It it, yeah. it is wild. You watch to, for like Kinzer behind the plate, and I, I from my eyeball, my eye test, Herrera had a little bit more smoothness, just like he belonged there a little bit more than watching Kinzer. But comparing either of them to even you know ancient Yachty, he just looks like he was born to be back there. Uh, it, it is such a different thing to watch. Um, but yeah, totally. Yeah. Well. I think this conversation acts as a good segue for us to move into talking a little bit more about the prospects on, on the Cardinals. Obviously we're at a dark time in the uh, major league level, but uh, on the flip side, arguably this is one of the brighter times that we've seen for the Cardinals farm system. Um, at least from my perspective, it certainly seems like a lot of things are clicking and some of the recent draft classes are really starting to to stand out and particularly that 2020 draft. It's like, man, what, what happened there? Um, so uh, we uh, thought we'd center this a little bit around the uh, recent fan graphs article of the top 34 card, uh, top 34 prospects for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, ben and I are both big fans of fan graphs. Um, probably I think our preferred, you know, more advanced analytical website. So anytime they put something out, 
uh, tend to gravitate towards that. I, I just and, love all the the clicking and the sorting and the and the you know <laughs> looking up old information and I just yeah, love it. All the clicking and the sorting. Uh, that's what we love here. Mary <laughs> thinks uh, my fiance thinks I'm insane because it'll I'll be like on my iPad at you know one a.m. And I have just like spreadsheets in front of me. She's just like, go to bed, you idiot. <laughs> Anyways. Sorting the data. Yeah. Yeah. You got to sort that data. It's not going to sort itself. I need what to know who's for? got the best hard hit rate last week. Yeah. It's important. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have a local ba- baseball podcast. Okay. The people need to know. So, uh, <laughs> so I thought I'd uh, go um, for anyone who's listening who maybe hasn't had a chance to check it out. Um, that I'd just list the top 10. And then we wanted to go through some of the more int- the the standouts from the list that are not the guys that everyone already knows, right? I, I don't think we necessarily need to talk about your Jordan Walkers and your and your Mason Wins. Everyone who is a Cardinal fan at this point probably knows who those guys are, especially if they're listening to a baseball uh, Cardinals podcast. But we've got <laughs> Kyle with us, and we wanted to dig in on a little bit on some of these guys that are either new to the list or a little bit lower down that list. So some of the anyway, guys I've not heard, and I, I'd like to think I'm pretty locked in. And there are some names on here that I've same. never even heard of. Yeah. Um, so just to run down, though, at least just for the top 10, um, mostly as expected, we've got Jordan Walker, number one, Yvonne Herrera, number two, Nolan Gorman, Matthew Liberator, Mason Wynn, Gordon Graceffo, Brendan Donovan, Tink Hintz, great name, Zach Thompson, and Alec Burleson. Um, you know, I think most of those guys we all know, but there is one name that stands out to me in that top 10 um, that. I'd love to hear a little bit more from you, Kyle. Um, and I, maybe I'm not even saying his name right. Uh, Gordon Graceffo. <laughs> is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. He's uh, nice. he's he's an awesome kid. Uh, definitely a gem from the 2021 draft for the Cardinals. They drafted him in the fifth round. But, you know, as you guys know, and maybe fans don't, some of your listeners might not know, the, the Major League Bat draft is a whole different beast. You know, so for instance, he was drafted in the fifth round, but he got fourth, like early fourth round slot money. Yeah. Um. So you know, it, it was a it was an over slot sign for the Cardinals. But look, he's he's the build. He's six foot four. He's two twenty. He's he he steps back like when he's going out of the windup. He steps back. His first motion is back, and I think that alarms a lot of people. You see those little quirky <laughs> motions, and people think, yeah. oh, but it, that's the only quirky thing about his motion. It's just a direct step back. And that gets his momentum going the way that he wants his momentum to get going. He doesn't do anything crazy with his arms. He doesn't do anything crazy with his legs. It's not. It's just the one little thing that you're not used to seeing. Uh, and, and I think people are kind of put off by that initially. But uh, what what he did really well when he was at Villanova is he he. I think he let up one home run his his final season at Villanova. You know, he only walked like 13. He had great command, decent strikeout numbers. Uh, he spent a lot of time in the lab. Getting his fastball up to snuff, uh, you know, getting his slider, his changeup, and his curveball somewhat up to snuff. He still has a little bit of work to do there, but then he, you know, he would show ninety-seven, uh, not hit it very often. But after the Cardinals drafted him, he'd show ninety-seven on his fastball with with decent spin, and he uh, spent time in the lab. And then all of a sudden, he's hitting a hundred in spring training on the backfields and getting everybody's attention. Um, I liked him before the 100 miles an hour. I thought he had pitchability. I thought he had a, a good profile. Uh, and I thought he'd throw enough strikes 
with a 97 mile an hour fastball that he'd be able to do some really impressive things. So to see him overwhelm scouts and the, the, the brass and the coaching staff in spring training uh, with that fastball and also his command and what he was able to do. Uh, it was a really, really awesome thing, but look, he, you know, he's, he's been the Cardinals best pitcher in the minor leagues. Um, I love watching him on a night in and night out basis. He's a bulldog. He's also the type of pitcher that if he doesn't have his best stuff, he's not a complete liability, which I think maybe is something that I don't spend enough time expressing when I'm doing write-ups or talking about prospects because, you know, a lot of these guys, uh, Oviedo, uh, not Thompson so much anymore, but Oviedo, Libertor, uh, Connor Thomas, who hasn't major le- made the major leagues, Andre Pallante, like these are guys who can't necessarily get away with not mm-hmm. having a feel for a pitch or, uh, you know, not being at their, not showing their A game. And I don't think Graceffo is that way. Graceffo reminds me a lot of when I used to, like, I used to love Ryan Helsley. I used to, you know, I try to be as unbiased when I do prospect rankings as proce- as possible. So that means, like, sure, I had Flaherty ahead of, of, of Helsley. I had a Hudson ahead of Helsley. But every time I'd write about Ryan Helsley, I'd say, this kid has the best arm in the organization. It's 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 on a different level. You know, he's going to be able to get away with stuff. He just he just needs time to develop his changeup. He just needs time to develop his curveball. And then he's in the bullpen before he gets a chance to do that. Right. But uh, that's kind of how I feel about Graceffo. I think, I think yeah, sure, maybe Libertor, if you're being unbiased, you can see his, his entire repertoire throwing five pitches. And if it's all working right with his size and his arm angle, uh, then you can understand why people would rank him higher. Same thing with Tink Hentz. You know, Markevian is his, his real first name. They call him Tink. Uh, he, he has a great size. He's spelt, built kind of like Tristan McKenzie. Uh, you can see why other people would have him as like the best pitching prospect in the organization. Michael McGreevy throws a ton of strikes. First round draft pick pedigrees there. But Graceffo has the best arm. Uh, maybe Tink Hentz could give him a run for that. But Graceffo is there's something or uh, uh, yeah yeah Graceffo there's just something special there that's going to make him a major leaguer if he stays healthy and uh, above average contributor at that and I don't know if I necessarily can guarantee that with any of the other arms right now. When would you okay. expect to see him in the majors off of his progression that you've seen so far? So this is where I get I get torn. I still I I uh, I get on this 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 soapbox every once in a while where I think that prospects are getting rushed a little bit, um, especially with the reduction of minor league teams during minor league contraction. I think we've, we've started to push prospect push prospects maybe a little harder than we should be. I think that's why a lot of other teams and even Cardinal team, you know, uh, the Cardinal teams over the years have kind of had, you know, a guy will hit 200. One of their top prospects who's raking at AAA will hit 200. And then all of a sudden they're back at AAA for a span and then back to the majors and then maybe even up and down a couple times. I think prospects are getting rushed a little bit. I do think if Gordon Graceffa was put in a position uh, where after the trade deadline, the Cardinals didn't make a significant addition or any type of addition and come September or, or August, they needed uh, some infusion. I could see him handling his own. I don't think he'd be a finished product. I, I think he would be an incremental upgrade over whoever he's replacing, you know, whether it be Palante or, you know, whatever, not, not Whitgren or TJ McFarlane, you know, <laughs> he's, he's not that level. He's going to be yeah. more than just an incremental upgrade. But well, uh, I, I think ideally you'd want him to go into both him and Michael McGreevy. You'd want both of those guys to go into spring training last year, know next year, knowing that they have a chance to be at the major leagues at some point in 2023, rather than, force yourselves to be in a position where you're bringing up this elite arm to supplement a bullpen role. 
Well, we were kind of talking last week with C70 about the Cardinals' inability to bring some of these elite arms or elite prospects or high-level names up to the majors. And, you know, I think health is there's there's luck involved with it, but it seems to be piling up. And we were trying to think, trying to come up with a name last week of what's the last one, two, three, whatever pitcher that has been consistently in the Cardinals' rotation that they've developed and we kind of talked about Carlos Martinez. We talked about a bunch of other guys that have had a lot of injury history. Do yeah. you think that that is the Cardinals have been unlucky? Do you think they've been too aggressive? Is it is it attributable to anything other than just like Waka Miller, um, Jack pitching, uh, pitching is hard and people pitching break. is hard. Alex Reyes. I yeah. mean, it's just it seems like we're just talking about the same thing over and over again. And all of those guys I just listed are. I mean, some of those guys were the best prospect in baseball at a time, and and it just has never really come together. I would I would love to see it in comparison with other teams. You know, I I in my opinion, like especially now that I, you, you get a little bit more acclimated with the national people. Uh, uh, you know, now that I have a little bit higher of a profile, I guess I, I'm I'm I have more thorough conversations with people who know things more than I do, and. I used to always be one of those guys who would say, just draft pitching, like figure out the rest, just get a stable full of arms and just whatever happens, happens. Just hope for the best, you know, get draft the best arms you can and, and do whatever you can. But the truth is that that philosophy does not work. The, the Royals are an example of that. They've drafted some really great arms and they, well, they kind of pushed them along too, especially during that COVID season. And I think that that hurt their development, but uh, it goes to show you that like, Pitching is, it is, it's really tough. I, I just, for me, I would think that it's, it's, I don't think it's a development issue necessarily, although it is indicting to a degree that the two pitchers that have done, you know, better than is Gallon and Sandy Alcantara, like that hurts. <laughs> Oops, any, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Any argument you're going to make uh, that I would make otherwise. But uh, yeah, I, I just think, I think that things haven't come along. I think that sometimes we have unrealistic expectations about what a prospect is too. You know, I'm, I'm to blame. I'm in part to blame for that as well. Um, I, I just think that there's a lot of things that work against pitchers and, you know, hopefully the Cardinals are working on how to mitigate some of these, these injuries and, and things that are, that hurt their premier starting pitching prospects. Yeah. I mean, there just seems just, to keep happening. There's, and there's so many names. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, I, I do think like, uh, I, I don't think the Cardinals have like, uh, they have some curse on them or something like that. Like I totally buy into it. But at the same time, you watch an organization like the Guardians and you're like, people that shouldn't work out are working out. And the people that were supposed to work out are becoming some of the best pitchers in baseball. Can I have a little bit of that, please? Um, I will take I would take any one of the five starters for the Guardians. They would fit very nicely with the Cardinals right now. Um, but yeah, it's just Mar- Marlins, uh, it, another team that seemingly yeah. can produce pitching out of nowhere all the time. Um, yeah, you know, one one area where the Cardinals have really struggled, and well, I'm sure we'll get to this, uh, especially if we're going to talk about the Fangraphs Top 34, is, you know, they haven't done particularly well producing uh, international signings as major league yeah. arms. And I, not to say every other team is capitalizing on that, but specifically when you bring up the Marlins, I feel like the Marlins have done really well with that. 
Um, and, you know, Junior Fernandez has been up and down this year. He's been better. You know, Johan Oviedo was a $1.8 million signing as an 18-year-old. who was a big body that kind of popped up on the radar that the Cardinals got kind of fortunate to sign. And even he's been kind of a middling prospect, really. Uh, you're, like you said, every time he goes out there, you're just willing for him to do well uh, as much as he is doing well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think that I think they haven't had much of an infusion from the international market. And I think that really hurts as well. Yeah, I, it's it's a bunch of different things. It's funny, too, because the Cardinals forever have had this reputation of pitching and, and defense and, and being a draft first team. But when we go through the, the history and even looking at the, the Cardinal lineup right now, how many of the, the major players on the team are actually acquired via trade? So, um, I mean, we're, we're feeling pretty good about the, the draft class or the, the minors right now. Um, but we have felt good in the past yeah. about the minors and there's, there's this, and I, of course the, the hump between minors and majors is huge and most people don't succeed. Um, but it feels few and far between where the Cardinals actually have that breakout star that stays a star I, from breakout through, you know, becoming free agency. And, and I think this is very unfair to do and you shouldn't do it, but I'm going to, we're going to do it anyway. Right now. Yes. It is, yeah. is if you look around the league and if you made a starting rotation with former Cardinal starters, Sandy Alcantara, Zach Gallen, Lance Lynn, Michael Waka's having a good year. That's a yeah. really good rotation. And I know some of those yeah. guys left for trades and free agency and this and that, but I, I don't, I, I, I try not to think about that, but you know, Lance Lynn is coming back from an injury and he's pitching well again. And I mean, yeah. he's, he's maybe my favorite baseball player to watch. That's not in the Cardinals uniform. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's a agonizing thought exercise, but it's, uh, I think it's always good to question what Mo and, and team are doing and it not always the right thing, I think. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll continue well, guys on a little journey. I want to make a cocktail. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Sandy Alcantara is an interesting one too, because, you know, as a Cardinal prospect, he was a fringy reliever, right? And no one was too upset when he was traded, for uh marcelo zuna and i think that's almost more a testament again to that marlins system that uh, was able to turn him into uh you know cy young front runner uh, i don't have the confidence to say that if he was with the cardinals he'd be doing what he's doing now with the marlins and it's been a multiple year development for him with the marlins on a team that has been bad for several years. So they've been able to allow him to struggle when he struggled and he just, he's stayed healthy, which is, you know, fortunate, a little bit of luck, a little bit of the training team. So I, I'm not willing to say like, Oh, if that trade wouldn't have happened, that's, we would just have that guy on our team right now because I don't think that's really how that works. But, um, it is definitely, uh, it's very difficult to see him atop <laughs> so many leaderboards hitting, hitting hundred right miles now. an hour in the ninth inning. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, it's rough. Well, Sandy's fun to go back and talk about just from a prospect standpoint in the first place, because, <laughs> Oh, Hey there. Sorry. We're gonna, we're <laughs> some noise. Um, you know, he, he was a pretty highly thought of prospect. It was just a matter of it. You know, he was kind of, he kind of had a small build and he couldn't throw strikes you know, they, they were really bullish on his changeup. I remember that. And they love the fact that he could get up to 
Uh, by the way, this little piece of art here is by a family friend. Uh, so <laughs> ignore the, the the nude lady with the pizza face calling. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so you know he had a lot of talent. It's just that that year when they moved him up to Double A as a twenty one year old, uh, he he started having diminished velocity. His mechanics got kind of out of whack. So you know, just like just like they were aggressive with Jordan Hicks, just like they were aggressive with Junior Fernandez before Fernandez started having arm issues prior to 2019 like he he was a highly thought of prospect it's just there were a lot of things that had you worried and for being you know back in 2019 if a kid threw 100 miles an hour or 96 and he couldn't strike people out you'd be like oh what, there's some you know there's something weird going on here uh and that was kind of him right. he didn't really have good command so yeah. to, you know you, you nailed it to, to your point like what, what he's done since he went to the marlins he got bigger he got stronger he committed himself uh, you know, maybe the Cardinals could have got him, could have got that out of him. Maybe if they just would have been a little bit more patient. Um, but you know, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Well, a um, few other names that we want to talk about. Then we, you know, I'd be interested to hear who really stood out to you on this list that maybe Cardinal fans have not heard about. But um, uh, Jonathan Mejia, a 17 year old shortstop. Uh, what do you have? You had a chance to see much of him? No, no. So here's the thing. I, uh, I have a, let me, let me tell you my whole philosophy on this. Right. So I, uh, when I was 16, I weighed, I was five foot seven and I weighed like, I don't know, I think it was like 123 pounds. Right. And, and then by the time I was a senior in high school, uh, by the time I was 17, 18, I, I weigh, I was like five foot 11 and I weighed 160 pounds. So I have a fundamental rule here. Uh, what ends up <laughs> happening with a lot of these highly, the, the expensive, um, I have a fundamental rule about not talking about teenage boys. Uh, no, I know. Uh, 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 what happens with a lot Same. of these? <laughs> so we'll stop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what happens with a lot of these kids, right? You get really excited about the fact that they're young and they cost more money than the other prospects. And he was number nine on BA's list. Uh, what I see is I see a, a, a 16, 17 year old, 17 year old, I think, who's five foot seven, who weighs a handful more pounds than I did at the same age. And I think, sure, I, I get all the mechanical inclinations. I think that you can you can see a 17 year old and say, oh, he's going to he could stick it short. Uh, and he he's a polished swing. Uh, but what I know is uh, from watching all of these kids and studying them for years and years and years and years uh, is the international market in particular is crude. And it's uh, it's kind of a joke. Even even in the year 2022, it's kind of a joke. It's kind of done inappropriately in a lot of ways. That uh, I I don't get so invested in the prospects that are, well, I guess, in life too that are under 18 uh, because. Uh, it's illegal. No, uh, <laughs> it, is a, it is a lot of old men looking at at children saying, "Well, he pro he projects well. Look at the yeah, body on that one. He's eighteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a stud." Yeah. Ugh. So, uh, like, out of out of purpose, I try my hardest. Oh, I'm sorry. What you say? I'm, I'm bad. No, no, you're. I'm just still laughing. I, <laughs> you've you've broken my entire worldview on <laughs> on 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 prospects, and so I'm just along for the ride at this point. Yeah, so that like that's that's my view. I I don't think it's fair, even though a kid is going to get you know X amount of your bonus pool. I don't think it's fair to like. It's not fair to the kid. It's not fair to the organization when you're dealing with such a crapshoot. And you know, like with Jonathan Jonathan Machado, taking a couple steps back and like. 2016, Jonathan Machado was a top 10 prospect in, uh, on BA's international uh, signing. 
The Cardinals gave him like $2.3 million, and he never made it past A ball, really. Uh, the Cardinals gave him $2.3 million because, you know, I, this is not substantiated. This is a lot of hearsay. But when he was 14, they they came to an agreement with him. So, and they, you know, the agreement isn't finalized until they're 16. So this is just, that's like part of the whole crappy system that goes on yeah. down there. So by the time he comes 16, he hasn't added any weight. He hasn't gotten taller. You know, the, re- the research they did on his family that would make you think genetically he's going to get bigger and stronger, it didn't happen. It just didn't happen with him. Oh, I hate so that, they got, too. they got on the hook for two. Yeah. yeah. Worked out great for him, though. Right? Well, hopefully <laughs> it did. You hope so. Well, uh, that's a good look, point. Look, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, but that's the other thing, right? You're, you're talking about kids that you're, are from a different land, that you're trying to teach English, that are learning English at the age of 14, and in basically labs. I mean, it's schools, but uh, it's basically baseball labs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole different world. So uh, to, to answer the question that you asked 45 minutes ago about uh, Mejia, uh, my, my thought about him is the little bit I've seen of him, he looks like a very, very raw and talented baseball player that I will not care about uh, until I see him at the complex or I find out that he's playing stateside because especially in the Dominican summer league and uh, uh, you know, especially there um, and even in the complex, I probably won't care that much, but in the Dominican summer league, like you're going to get kids who are 16 playing against kids who are 19 playing against kids who are set. Like the, it's like, it's like if everybody was playing varsity all at once uh, including kids who are supposed to be in college, it's, it's a weird talent pool level that's so hard to gauge and judge if you're not watching it every day. So uh, again, he highly thought of international signing that that is so far away from the majors. It's just not worth getting excited about for me, you know, just yet. Well, let's yeah, uh, I, let, I let's talk about let's talk about somebody who is of age. They can buy beer. They can they can actually <laughs> almost rent a car without their parents' permission. Um, well, good. I want to ask. Them to buy, we can get them to rent a car and bring us beer. <laughs> There you go. Uh, I want to ask you about Freddie Pacheco and kind of, you know, going through this list, reading the write up, looking at the stats. It seems like a guy that should probably be helping the team right now, especially with all the bullpen problems that we were talking about earlier in the episode. Where is he at? What, what, what are we waiting for? So the issue with Pacheco has always been command. Uh, entering last year, he, he was, I would say, off of the prospect radar because he just could not throw strikes. And then when we started watching him at Peoria last year, because he started at Peoria, uh, spent some time in Springfield, and then finished the year at Memphis, uh, when we saw him at the beginning of the year at Peoria, like, he was good. He showed signs of dominance. It's just he would have – you could you'd see it right from the get-go. It's a lot like Junior Fernandez. Uh, you would see him right away, and you'd be like, oh, he doesn't have it tonight. Somebody go save him. Go save us. Go save him. Uh, so he would have, like, three bad outings where he walked 25 people – and it would crater his walk rate. It would crater his ERA. Uh, but he was dominant in other times. So then he gets promoted to Springfield, and he's mostly a fastball slider pitcher. Uh, fastball, high octane, uh, appropriate spin. Slider, high octane, appropriate spin. And he just dominated double A. His command was good. He dominated double A. was getting his fastball up into the 100-mile-an-hour range. Uh, and then ended the year at Memphis. was really, really uh, intriguing in Memphis. But he made a few mechanical adjustments, is my understanding, to try to harness his command mm-hmm. uh, because obviously the Cardinals don't want a high walk rate reliever if they don't have to have one. And he just, it kind of, it hurt his velocity a little bit, not a lot. You know, it's 
it's 95 to 97 now. I haven't heard much in the way of getting up, you know, to the 100 mark. I know he got up there, but not much of it. Uh, and it's taken him a while to really get the feel for his mechanics and some of the changes he's made. So it's it's important and it's great to see him at Memphis now. And I would suspect that, you know, uh, I would suspect within the next month or so, he's, he's making a major league debut if he keeps showing what he's shown. But I, I am a little worried about uh, some of the contact I've seen out of his fastball, which we did not see last year. Uh, but he's a, he's mostly fastball slider. He's worked on some some third pitches, but uh, he he get, if he finds that octane again, and just like we thought in the off season, I thought I thought Palante, I thought Walsh, and I thought um, uh, uh, I thought he would be Pacheco would be the three like surprise relievers who would help solidify the, the relief core by the end of the year. And uh, you know Walsh is hurt. And uh, Palante's in the starting rotation. <laughs> we all saw um, that coming. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I like Pacheco a lot. I, I, he's been as the season's progressed, he's gotten more and more dominant, shown more of those things that we saw last year. Yeah, you know, I'm just like as you're talking and listening to you speak and kind of looking at his page, I'm I'm shocked by how low the ground ball percentage is. It looks like he's averaged. Uh, you know, trying to put it together really quickly, maybe a little over 30% ground ball rate, although lots and lots of strikeouts. So definitely curious to see how that works in the big leagues, especially if the, uh, if the command is a little off, but, uh, the profile, don't hit I mean, it to the how do you not get excited about outfield? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, uh, well, let's, uh, so another person I want to ask about, and this is, this is a, uh, a personal favorite of mine because I just love a big bodied hulking polar bear of a man. Um, I, I, I think he might be bigger than Pete Alonzo actually Luke and Baker. He is not on this list. He had from my point of view, a very, very good year last year. And it seems as though he is all power, no hit. I, like what, what has happened to him? Is he somebody that I should stop thinking about? Should he not occupy space in my mind anymore? What's the deal with Luke and Baker? I would recommend that if you ever see a human being that size, you just they let them occupy a little spot in your mind. Don't ever, <laughs> don't ever let that out of your mind ever. I think uh, <laughs> that would be the advice that I would give you there. But yeah, it's been there. He got off to a terrible start. Like he, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, you know, last year he got off to a rough start with Springfield, and then all of a sudden he started raking. Like it just something clicked with his power and he started raking and it started happening again this year. And instead of finding the consistency with that power, he, he got over aggressive with the swing specifically at sliders low and out. And they were, they were beating him heavy low and out. And then he started getting his, his legs underneath them and doing some good stuff. And then he started getting beat by high cheese and uh, he's just not adapting as quick as he did last year. I would not rule him out just yet. I, you know, I, again, Fangrass has, and I, maybe this is something I would I would like to emphasize. You know, Fangrass has their own method of doing things, obviously, and I don't want to sound critical at all of what Mister Long and Hanging does or anything like that. Like, uh, I would just you know remind people that they don't they don't have the resources necessarily that I do. They it's like Long and Hanging by himself, basically trying to yeah, right. catalog all this minor league stuff. I can't imagine how difficult of a job that is. It, it took uh, four months to get this report out. Usually, it it ha- yeah. There's there's something going on at Fangraphs, and I definitely hear everything you're saying. So I, I you know I would just say that uh, you know if, when I if I ever get a chance to write re rank my prospects and redo it, like he'll be on my list. He'll he'll have fallen a little bit. I think I had him as like prospect fourteen or something like that. He he'll definitely have fallen. 
but the power is still too raw and his approach, even though he's striking out a lot, like it's a weird thing where I don't think the approach is something that he can't fix or, or rediscover from what he was doing last year. Like, I don't think he's ever going to hit above, say he, say he finds it, say that he, he gets close to the major, say he makes majors. Like he's never going to be more than a 240, 250 hitter. That's just not him. But he, he does work counts. You know, there aren't a whole lot of one, two, three downs in his at bats. Uh, I, I just think that maybe he's, he's pressing. He understands that even though, you know, he's made huge strides defensively at first, he probably understands that it's his bat that's going to get him. And he, I think he's just putting too much pressure on himself. But he, he did go through a, sp- a little phase there where he, he almost got it back from last year and he just, he could not. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not one to write off that monster. And I'm going to tell you right now, you can see his listing. He is bigger in person than he's listed. He is <laughs> a whole different beast. He's a big, tough guy. Um, <laughs> he could put you in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, what an interesting um, profile. And, oh, I guess we'll hope he puts it together, although not like there's going to be an opening at first base for a little while, but maybe uh, maybe DH, right? Um, so, Kyle, who who should we be excited about that maybe we don't already know about? Yeah, you know, I think – well, I'll be honest with you. I think the Cardinals now uh, are in a weird little transition, a weird little transition phase. I think that at the beginning of the year, a lot of people were talking about the Cardinals having uh, a middle of the road farm system. And I was I was very critical of that. And I think it was because people were undervaluing like Yepes and Donovan. Uh, Yeah. You know, so now that these guys are at the majors, right? Like when I do my dirty 35 or or my, my prospect ranking, when I do my prospect ranking, I hardly ever include anybody who's made a major league debut. So that means. Liberator would be off. Thompson would be off. Uh, Palante, Walsh, um, uh, you know, everybody who's made a major league debut would go off my list. And to be honest, when you're when you're creating a list without those six to nine guys, it actually it becomes very difficult in the back end. And especially like for someone like me who maybe tries their hardest and I say protect, that's not fair, but I try very hard not to just like we talked a little while ago with the international kids to like overexpose them or oversell them. Cause I just don't think it's fair to them. And I don't think it's fair to the fan base. And I think it's a little skewing that, that, that isn't necessarily like the right thing to do. Um, I'm doing a little gatekeeping, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so it, I, you know, it's, it's tough. How they, dare they, you protect children? <laughs> oh, well what can i say i'm uh i've got nothing i'm gonna leave that alone i, yeah, I know this will help to not talk, talk about kids you started <laughs> it <laughs> um, so i you know i think i think like the next group becomes the the group of kids that are far far away like uh you know we talked about some of the international kids that, that are 18 and older older like uh win bin cho the outfielder from Korea yeah. who played at community college at the Cardinal sign. Like he's a really exciting prospect. He's gotten very few at bats. He's been dealing with a little uh, achiness um, at the, on the complex, but he's one of the guys, one of the, uh, the, the Luis Pino, uh, super Mario, an outfielder, small little guy who's kind of like Malcolm Nunez uh, uh, kind of built that same way, but way more athletic who plays the outfield. He's one of my personal favorite prospects in the organization. He was he was a big time signing for the Cardinals on the international market. He was a little older, uh, again, kind of like um, Malcolm Nunez when the Cardinals signed Malcolm Nunez. He was a little bit older. Uh, I like I like him a lot. Like 
those are the names that come to my mind. I think the next big prospect that we're going to be talking about is Markevian Hentz. I think, you know, what, what Tink is doing is uh, it's, it's second to none right now in the organization. You know, even, even what we talked about with Graceffo, but what he's doing at, at Palm Beach after missing a little bit of time last year dealing with some injuries, I think I think he's probably, you know, the, the next big name. Like this time next year, we'll be talking about him the way that we've talked about Walker. And maybe not Walker. That's not fair because he's a whole different beast. But, you know, someone like Wynn, a freak athlete who yeah. is going to get on with athleticism, but he has real pitchability. Um, I, I think I think Tink Hansen, if Joshua Baez, the Cardinals second-round pick That's from yes. last year. Yeah. It, it, I think, you know, he he broke his wrist. He got hit by a pitch in his first or second at bat uh, this season uh, playing with Palm Beach. And he had to have surgery. And, you know, that pretty much wipes out his season. I would suspect that if he gets healthy, he might take him a second to get going next year. But the, those are the next like the next big crop. And, yeah, sure, they're not they're not necessarily the names that uh, are so far off off the radar. But they're the guys who are going to comprise the next wave. And then, you know, one of my personal favorites, and it was one of the guys that we put on the Dirty Flirty last year, uh, was is Enohan Paniagua. He's a righty who doesn't throw. He's 22 years old. He's at Palm Beach. He's been there all year. Everybody wants him promoted to Peoria. He doesn't throw with a lot of velocity. His stuff isn't super spinny. He's just a really good pitcher that's worked to harness his command from last year because he was kind of a – his command was pretty crappy last year at 21 coming off of COVID. I like him a lot. You know, I don't, I think he's probably more on Hell Rondone than he is anything else. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's a major league contributor um, in any capacity. And then the only other like group of names that seem far off of the radar are this like really interesting group of minor league relievers, which is something that I used to never pay attention to that I'm paying attention to now. And it's, it's paying off. Like there's a lefty named Nathaniel Heredia. Who's a basically fastball slider lefty who like whips his arm from a sidearm motion. That's hard to pick up. Uh, Leonardo Tavares, who is a righty who comes over the top, who has big velocity. Um, Ryan Laudis, who's at AAA now, his fastballs got banged around a little bit in his two AAA uh, 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 appearances. Um, there, there's another kid at high A, Peoria, two of them, uh, Andre Granillo, who was a late round pick in 2021, a big righty. And then uh, Gianluca Delatri, who I believe, and I could be wrong about this, was an undrafted free agent by the Cardinals. And who also has like a really, a, a really good pedigree pitch for Team USA, um, who just dealt with a lot of injury issues, who is now healthy and is kind of making a name for himself. Like, I think that there, there's a really interesting group of relief pitchers. Uh, Logan Gregg, who was a Cardinals 10th round draft pick in 2019 out of Oklahoma State. Uh, I Guys who I don't necessarily think they profile as starters in any capacity or are already solidified in single inning bullpen roles. Uh, Gregg's case, it's multi-inning. Uh, John Beller would be another name, an undrafted free agent from the 2020 class. Uh, lefty with big spin. Uh, they have They do have some arms that could fill bullpen roles that maybe aren't like super sexy types or uh, are headliners that I feel like is the next wave of like the devil magic or what, what <laughs> yeah. you know, like how did the Cardinals get this guy? Where did he come from? Oh, he was a 15th round pick that blew through the system in three years and maybe has a three-year shelf life at the major leagues pitching out of a bullpen. 
lot of a lot of interesting names in there. Some of them on this on the Fangraphs list. Some of them that I truly have never heard about. So that's uh, I'm fiercely googling over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've been writing some of this down. So um, thank you for the the information. I know um, you know Josh Baez is someone that we've been really excited about. Well, as well, it's hard not to be excited yeah. about uh, you know that that type of power. I read an article too. Um, you've been you were mentioning Tinkins. I think it was just over the winter. He w- he grew two inches from like six one to six three yeah. in like a matter of three months, which just had to be terrifying to his friends and family because <laughs> um, that's a lot for an already big person to grow in such a short amount of time. So, uh, yeah, it'll you know, I, I the more and the deeper and deeper I get into the Cardinals and just into baseball in general, the deeper and deeper I get into the the minor league system and. Uh, uh, I, I guess maybe uh, bullpen arms from single A is one of the last phases you get to, uh, <laughs> you know, as as you get deeper into the minors. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I we're staring into our future as we talk to you, Kyle. And, uh, you know, I, I you do a lot of the um, a lot of great work on your on your Twitter account as well, highlighting a lot of these players. So for if any of our listeners are are uh, interested in seeing some of these guys definitely check out Kyle on don't file fo- follow Jeez. don't follow oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't okay. follow me Jesus no no. Uh, no I think it's it's been really fascinating to watch because up until three years ago I never would have paid any attention to any of the minor league relievers it was yeah it was foolhardy you know uh, one of every like six million would make it to the majors and they they'd end up being good they'd end up being Kenley Jensen or something like that sure. but uh it just wasn't worth it and now it's different now because of how important relief pitching is. Some of these kids who five years ago would have, especially like international kids uh, who would have been given a chance to be a starter, might get a chance to be a starter in the Dominican or on the complex and are put in the bullpen. And now uh, college teams are developing more bullpen pitching. And that's where like Delatry and Granillo come from. Yeah. It makes sense, you know, yeah. ever since the ever since the third time through the order, ever since that has become a thing that teams are thinking about, it it is financially viable to be a reliever and every team needs a thousand of them. It it mm-hmm. it makes sense that this would be the logical progression of all that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I uh Ben Cerruti writes for Birds on the Black Key and I were talking once and I have a, I have a rule where Ben's not allowed to talk about what's in our DM, so I'm going to talk about what's in our DMs. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but, uh, but he get it out there, right? He he was talking about like maybe having a situation in which organizations start to view pitchers as eighteen inning pitchers, three inning pitchers, and single inning pitchers. Uh, and mm. I know that some of that is kind of going on in other organizations. Uh, I don't know if it'll necessarily go on with the Cardinals or if it if it does when it will. Um, but like I think that's a fascinating concept that will eventually happen like league wide and even in a development standpoint. And I wouldn't be surprised if colleges are already doing it and organizations. Right. Yeah. That's really colleges fascinating. Seem, a lot of colleges be seem to be ahead of the MLB teams and, and maybe in particular the Cardinals. And we just saw a, uh, saw a major league pitching coach go to LSU. Um, interesting <laughs> mm-hmm. to see how that is all playing out and what yeah. the development looks like. I know that there are, there are like D three schools that are using uh, advanced, like uh, like driveline type analytics and and stuff like that. And um, well, and they're they're forced incredible. to they they yeah. can't get a guy and be like, all right, he's our closer for the next six years, right? They have to figure out how to take people from fresh to 
you know, contributing in a short amount of time, get everything they can out of them uh, yeah. for better or worse. Sometimes we see some of those crazy pitch counts for some of these kids uh, in college. But um, yeah, it, it is. It's pretty fascinating to see how that develops. Uh, well, Kyle, I think we could we could do this all night. <laughs> uh, we really, again, appreciate your time, but I, we're getting pretty late. So I think we need to, we're going to head towards wrapping up. Um, we of course have a, a stupid game to play uh, at the end of the episode. And we're excited to, uh, to have you be a part of it. Last week we had C70 uh, just kicked my ass destroy Ben. It and, was bad. Um, it was bad. Uh, ben does really well when it's just me challenging him, <laughs> but we've seen him fold under the pressure of a, of a guest. So we'll see how this goes uh, for you. But but before C7, we do this. C70, real fast, C70 is very old. So it, <laughs> it would make sense that if it's any yeah. trivia, you know. we were Well, there was like Stan Musial and Al Roboski related questions. So yeah. I guess, you know. Um, yeah, he was around for both of those guys. <laughs> uh, you're, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're friends to all here except for ourselves. You know, we like yeah. everyone except for, uh, you know, me and Ben. We hate ourselves and each other. But everyone else, <laughs> you know, you're cool to us. So. Um, I feel no, I agree. C70 <laughs> had an unfair advantage for being old. I, I'm going to, I'm going to heal for him. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, before we get to that though, uh, we always like to take a few minutes to, um, you know, plug where people can support online. Um, Kyle, you're all over the place. Um, there's a moment for you to, to plug anything you'd like to, um, for our listeners, if they want to support you or otherwise, what, what should people be checking out if they're going online to look for, for great content? Yeah, I, I write for birds on the black. Um, I, we don't put out the content that we used to, but Ben Cerruti, uh, does amazing stuff for birds on the black Mm -hmm. as does Stu styles. Uh, Stu does the game recaps every game and you know, he, he score, it's his scorecard and they're beautiful and they're well done. And, uh, Nicholas Childress puts those together and Cardinals gifts is a part of it. Uh, so check, check out what goes on over at birds on the black. Uh, since I, I, you know, we talked about how old Daniel is, uh, in case he forgets his own website, you should, you should check out C70 and all the stuff that he does. Um, you know, he has great cardinal memory, but he doesn't remember his kids' names or my <laughs> name. And I don't appreciate it, to be honest, but you do what you got to do. So uh, check out Cardinals Conclave. And, uh, you know, again, if, if I can give it a recommendation, check out uh, <laughs> check out The Bear on Hulu. I need everyone <laughs> to watch this show so I can get more of it. There you yeah. go. Yeah, uh, uh, Birds on the Black is fantastic. I I agree a hundred percent. So, um, you know, great plug and and uh, thanks to all the people that that put that put that together. Cardinals GIF might be the best Cardinal follow on Twitter. So, For real. Uh, yeah. you know, highly recommend that. So, uh, well, after you're done following all these people who actually know what they're doing, um, if you want to support us uh, and this show, um, we do have a, a Patreon slowly building our own little community uh anyone who supports us on patreon can join our private discord we call it the bird scored you can talk to me ben c70 or the people that are in there we're all in there talking about the games talking about the show getting prepared uh lamenting the the collapse of the cardinals rotation together it's fun and sad uh you also if you want to support the show you can leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you use we greatly appreciate that 
Uh, ben, how can people find us online? Yeah, make sure to follow us at Talk About Birds on Twitter. As C70 pointed out, we are stupid. Our uh, Instagram and Twitter are different. So the Instagram is Talking About Birds. Twitter is Talk About Birds. Uh, I don't know. So I guess I, don't I, at I, me about I, that. I, no, yeah. I, I, I went back and I was like, why did we do that? Because we've had Talk About Birds since like 2013 when yeah. we initially launched this podcast. And I was like, why did I do it stupidly? I was like, well, it's me. You know, stupid. so it's probably just my <laughs> just my nature. Um, but no, it's a character limit on Twitter that Instagram does not have. So we could change Instagram to be talk about birds. But that feels bad, too, because that's not our name. So I feel like we should have as many of them as possible that are our <laughs> name actually be our name. We'll just scoop uh, them all up. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> um what are you out- doing elon <laughs> outside of our uh, stupidities and, and elon blocking our shine uh you can email us questions <laughs> at talkaboutbirds at gmail.com um obviously per usual we prefer that you email very personal and in-depth questions about nate's life uh he's in the middle of a basement refinishing what's he going to use it for i don't know i bet it's going to be weird you should ask crimes him crimes <laughs> for victims <laughs> uh yeah so thank you um we appreciate all the support that we've received so far so um all right let's get into it so jumping into the game here Bring uh, it. though there were some down years here and there the last 15 years have been very successful for the st louis cardinals Multiple division titles, two World Series appearances, and one win. Despite the fact that the current heart of the Cardinals lineup was acquired by trades, the Cardinals are mostly known as a draft and develop type of team. But the MLB draft is notoriously difficult. We talked about this earlier, with first rounders flopping pretty consistently and stars emerging from even the deepest rounds, as we all know, with guys like Albert Pujols. You're likely familiar with the first-round talent that has succeeded, but what about the flops? How much do you know about the Cardinals' draft history? We'll find out in this week's edition of Who Charted. Who Charted? (laughs) I'm going to get my ass kicked. (laughs) So, bring it. Hey, Kyle, you suck. Let's go. (laughs) Yes. I suck. Yes. So, what we're focusing on here, I tried to... Ben, I tried... I wanted to do something prospect focused because we have okay, Kyle, but right. I wanted to keep it at least relevant to what I think you should be com- competent at. But okay. I will say you're an underdog in this. So <laughs> what I have in front of me is a list of all the first round picks for the Cardinals from the I last. I want to be the underdog. Would you please rewrite <laughs> the questions? I would like to be the underdog. Um, and I've also made up a ton of names too. So you just have to. <laughs> You just have to guess what kind of name I would make up, which I think Ben of the two of you would be better at now. So I I have all of the first round picks that the Cardinals have made in the last 15 years. To make it easier, I have included supplemental rounds. So I've got a pretty good supplemental first round picks. Okay, so I've got a pretty good list of guys in front of me from the last 15 years. We're going to go back and forth. Each of you are going to say a name. Oh, fuck. Oh. <laughs> oh. If, if you get it right, you're going to get a great sound, our classic. It's the sound of uh, the crowd cheering after a, after a hit. Yep. And if you get it wrong, 
you're getting this. Yeah! Mm -hmm. First person to get three outs is done. <sighs> uh, we'll tally up who who wins at the end of the game based off of how many uh, you got right. I've got a question. <laughs> yes. What year is it right now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you'd think I'd be prepared to answer. No, it's uh, <laughs> this is this is 2022, and we are going back. To the 2007 draft class. Holy oh cow. So, but the point isn't that we're going to get all of them because I truly don't. But one of you just has to outlast the other one. All right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, uh, Kyle, you are our guest and you can go first. Uh, I just need you to name a, a player for the Cardinals who was drafted, uh, a, a person that the Cardinals drafted in the first round. The only one that matters, Pete Cosma. <laughs> that's the right answer. You win. <laughs> no, seriously, Kyle, that's so funny. I I was looking back how far back to go, and part of the reason I went back to 2007 was specifically because I saw Pete Cosma on the list. I was like, we gotta include Pete Cosma on this list. So, uh, you got it. All right, Ben. Okay, I, I'll take the easy one, uh, Jordan Walker. All right. I think we all know, but I got to play the sound. You love uh, your sounds. I, I love my sounds, even right. when they and don't work. After like that, I, I am, I am, I'm Wait. in deep water. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. Uh, Jordan Walker, 2020. I'll do, I'll do Zach Cox. Zach Cox. Absolutely. Uh, bonus points if you can get the year. Give me uh, 2014. Nope, 2010. But you know oh. you're getting that sound for the uh, for the success. So 2010, Zach Cox. That's me. That's me messing up because I I got the two 2019 and 2013 guys mixed up. Go on, you're you're, you're good. <laughs> All, right, All right, Ben. Michael Waka. Right. Uh, yeah. Yep. Because he was like drafted and yeah. Oops, yeah. <laughs> Wrong sound. <laughs> Play the right. What the? F <laughs> Thank you. 2012, Michael Walker. All right, now I'm really on fumes here. Uh, Brett Wallace. Oh. Brett Wallace. 2008. Ben. Oh, oh crap. Uh, starter for the Diamondbacks. Um, skinny guy. Luke Weaver. Was he a first round? Luke Weaver. Let me look. Yes. Yes. 2014. Oh. Luke Weaver. Skinny guy for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Hey, there's a Cardinals pitcher that kind of hasn't really done much since we traded him. He's not an all-star or anything. Hey, that's a good point. All right, Kyle. Uh, Delvin Perez. Great one. You know what? Oh, my I, God. Do you guys want me to keep doing these sounds? Because <laughs> we, we're going to. I mean, they're really the great, sounds. Nate. Whatever you want to <laughs> do, yeah. man. How am I going to know if I got it right? <laughs> That's a good point. All right, Ben. Talked about him early. Shelby Miller. Mm-hmm. A lot you of pictures coming up. What year was Shelby? 2009. Right. See, I, I got... Anyways, <laughs> uh, I will stick with the Delvin Perez draft, and we will do Dylan Carlson. Great pick. Fan favorite, at least here on this show. 
Love me some Dill Carl. All right, Ben. Um, okay, I'm going to – this is where – now Now I'm really not doing well. 99% <laughs> sure Nick Mason win was second round. Um, and I think – oh, God. Yeah, uh, but Nolan Gorman was a first-round pick, right? Nolan Gorman. That's right. 19th overall in 2018. Yeah. Thick high schooler. I'm not, I'm not looking at Delvin his and Dylan, uh, Dakota Hudson. Yep, you got it. Okay. Now I'm screwed. Uh, <laughs> You've said that after almost every pick. The, so the you, bit you is know. over. The bit is over. <laughs> I, I am screwed now. Um... Um, it's tough from here. It's, it is tough. From yeah. Here. You guys got a lot of the, especially, you know, guys who are, are currently contributing. Um, you've gotten a lot of them. I don't think that this is right, but I shall say it. Carson Kelly. Third round for Carson. Yeah. yeah there's Ben's first, uh, first out of the game. All right. Carson Kelly. What, can you? Was he a third round pick? Is that what he was? I just have the first okay. rounds. You're fine. Uh, I, I can look it up, but um, yeah. Zach Thompson. I don't think I knew that. Because I, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yep, Zach Thompson, 2019. The uh, also the 19th overall pick. Jack Flaherty. That's right. Right. Yes. Okay. Ooh, back, back in the clarity. game. Back in the game. 2014. <laughs> right. Nick Plummer. <laughs> Mets Current. legend. Mets legend, Nick Plummer. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he was 2015, 23rd overall. Mm. Um, oh, okay. Um, oh, I... I'm thinking of a New York kid who had a big curveball. He never made it to the majors with the Cardinals. I can't even think of his name. Um, I just need to say somebody. Um, Alec Burleson. I, I don't know. I, I I got nothing. Yeah, I know. I yeah. know. Don't shake your head at me. I know. <laughs> Kyle. Uh, Jake Woodford. Is he yep. really? Yep. 2015. You Jake think he'd be a Woodford. Mo guy then? What's What's the deal? It's weird. The whole thing is weird. It is weird. I, I still believe he insulted the bow tie. Kicked a cat. Right. Ben, you're down to your last. Uh, I know. It, this is it, it's over unless. Give me. Sorry. I just need to think for one second. Um, okay. Take uh, your time. There's no pressure. Yeah. I feel pressure. Every, everything is riding on this. <laughs> Z- Zach Gallon? Was he a first rounder? Fourth no. Round. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, he like and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right, Kyle. All uh, right, what else you got? So th- there was one, and you said the supplemental thing throws me off because that's where yeah. it gets really, really tricky. Because I think Griffin Roberts was a supplemental pick. Oh, but I think he was like forty sixth overall or something like that. Who charted? Oops, wrong sound. Who <laughs> yeah. charted? Am I Nathan, am I Drake? Yes. <laughs> Who charted? <laughs> no, I don't have Griff. Uh, okay. 
at least he wasn't listed here. So, so that's where the, with the supplemental things, it gets confusing. But anyways, um, yeah. and then the only other one that I could think of, like off the top of my head, by the way, you were thinking of Rob Kaminsky is who you were thinking of. Thank you. Yes. Was he first yeah. round? No. Yes, he was. Yeah. 2013. Yeah. So the, the one I had a question on was Clayton Mortensen. He would have been drafted the same year as Brett Wallace. Uh, actually, one year before he was in the Pete Cosma ah, draft. Uh, that's right. Yeah, 2007. Uh, so I'll, I'll run down uh, the remaining picks that you guys had not gotten to. You actually did pretty well. You uh, got everyone. No one said uh, uh, Michael McGreevy, the 2021 oh. draft, <laughs> which was surprising. <laughs> He's the most recent, <laughs> um, but going back and starting at 2007. So you got, uh, give you Clay Mortensen, uh, and then the guys that you did not get Lance Lynn. Oh, in duh. 2008, uh, Seth Blair in 2010. Yeah. Tyrell Jenkins in 2010. Where's oh, Tyrell? Wow. Uh, one I thought you would get, Colton Wong, 2011. Oh, I actually yeah. remember that draft. I watched that. It was one of the first ones they actually did, like the ESPN broadcast of, and I and I watched it being like a tiny second baseman. But anyway, um, <laughs> James Ramsey uh, in wow. two, 2012. Stephen Piscotty, 2012. Oh, Pisco. Uh, Patrick Wisdom, current Cubs star, 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the best name in baseball, Steve Bean in 2012. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> oh, my God. So does that mean, hold on real fast, was Robert Stock also? Or uh, he he's not on my okay. on my list here. Yeah. All right. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, I remember him, though. Um, Marco Gonzalez, 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and then you guys got the rest. Hey. Um, so, uh, good work, Ben. Uh, that went about as expected. Um, but yeah, Kyle uh, didn't he, get a strike, did he? Uh, well, only until that last sort of gimme guess. Okay. Um, yeah. but, uh, not while we were really in the heat of the challenge. So Kyle, congratulations. You've won this week's edition of who charted. Uh, who charted? You build me yeah. an addition who charted? Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a shrine going in right now. Um, it was supposed to be for me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that'll do it for this week. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. It was, it was a blast. We really appreciate your time. So much fun. No, it was awesome. You guys are the best. Thanks for that. that was a, I, I loved it. Awesome. Um, well, uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us uh, once again this week. We will be back next week, as always, with another episode. And until next week, go Cardinals. Bye, everybody. Bye.